0: How being LGBTQ affects your estate plan. This is Prime Law Podcast, your source of good counsel. I'm Andrew Merzinich, licensed attorney. Greetings everyone, it's Pride Month 2022, and in honor of that, I wanted to take some time to talk to you a little bit about the particular estate planning needs of LGBTQ people. For those who are coming into this a little late, just so you're aware, LGBTQ stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer. Many of us put a plus at the end because the community is constantly growing. That said, before we jump too deeply into the rabbit hole of boring legal stuff, let's start with a quick conversation on the history of same-sex marriage in the United States specifically, because to truly understand the issues facing the LGBTQ community, and specifically how that affects their state plans, we need to understand where we've been and where we think we are going. Now, gay people have been a part of society since the dawn of humanity, We've seen evidence of that in Ancient Greece, in Ancient Egypt, Europe, everywhere. But the modern recognition of LGBTQ rights really took off in the 1960s, at least in the United States. So first off, some context. Put yourself back in 1960 if you can, and understand that it is illegal to have same-sex relationships, whether they be romantic or physical in nature. In addition, There's what's called gay panic defenses, where a person is allowed to injure or even kill another person who, quote, advances upon them in a homosexual manner against the consent, end quote. And this was a valid defense to charges of battery and murder. People could get away with it by saying, well, I'm not gay, and he was hitting on me. In addition, queer people were banned from the military, and the local police forces would just randomly on a whim find local gay bars raid them just so they could issue citations and put gay people in jail truly it was harassment for the sake of it then stonewall happened june 28, 1969 in response to a police raid that began in the early morning hours at the stonewall inn which is located in greenwich village in lower manhattan in new york city i recommend you go they have wonderful wonderful cocktails um but patrons of the stonewall other village lesbian and gay bars neighborhood street people decided to fight back that's right the very first pride event was a riot and it was started by gay people trans people queer people of color And it was truly a violent uprising, and that's what it took for us to finally get the ball rolling on LGBTQ rights in America. And as a quick side note, that's why June is Pride Month, and the last week specifically is when you see every major city, small towns, homes, donned in the colors of the rainbow, Roy G. Biv everywhere. This event is considered the birth of the modern gay rights movement. Marriage, however, didn't fall into prominence until the late 1990s, kind of that early 2000s, that new millennium era. So the first legal same-sex marriage, now I say legal in the sense of the state recognized this as a marriage rather than just two individuals being in a committed monogamous relationship. That's been happening forever. But the first legal same-sex marriage in the United States happened on February 12th, 2004. And that was between Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon. And some of you may know Gavin Newsom from California, kind of a famous governor right now, ordered the city hall to issue the marriage license to them. And so February 12th, 2004. Now in June of 2013, less than 10 years later, the United States Supreme Court issued a case called United States v. Windsor, which struck down a law barring federal recognition of same-sex marriage in the Defense of Marriage Act. By late 2014, same-sex marriage had become legal in states that contained more than 70% of the United States' population. And then on June 26, 2015, I, I remember this, I'm always moved by this, the United States Supreme Court issued the decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, my all-time favorite case. So, let's talk about the facts of Obergefell first. Obergefell, Jim, the plaintiff of this matter, who I actually had the honor of meeting briefly, is a very nice guy, and John Arthur decided to marry to obtain legal recognition of their relationship. Now, John was terminally ill, and he was suffering from ALS, and they knew that he was not going to be living very long. So they went to the Ohio Registrar and they identified themselves as a couple. And Jim wanted to make sure that he, as the surviving spouse, would be listed on John's death certificate. The state attorney general's office announced it decided to defend the same-sex marriage ban. And while this whole case was pending, John died. The case finally ended up at the United States Supreme Court, where Justice Anthony Kennedy, the author of the opinion, said, And forgive me, I get a little emotional, so bear with me. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. At this point, marriage equality became the law of the land. Now that we have the historic perspective out of the way, let's talk about the stuff that you really came here to hear. What are the special estate planning needs that are specific to the LGBTQ community? The first is figuring out what kind of relationship you're in. Now, we can talk about all those interpersonal things of who does the dishes, who lets the dog out, all that stuff. I'm talking about from a legal perspective here. Many couples decide not to get married. I will tell you that marrying my husband Cody was one of the happiest days of my life, but marriage is not for everyone. For instance, we have two friends who have been together for over 50 years, and they have their entire estate plan set out based upon the fact that they didn't think they would ever be allowed to get married. And even to this day, even though they can get married, they've decided not to for personal reasons. Namely, it means they have to do a lot of legwork to extract all of these plans back out and then fit them within the marital paradigm but also for financial reasons, as getting married would actually affect how much social security they get. Another set of my friends are in what's called a civil union. Uh, Civil unions were a creation of the states to grant some of the rights of marriage. Many times they don't allow child adoption or the title of marriage, but the idea of civil unions is that they are a state level creation that was meant to be a substitute for marriage. The thing to know about that is that you can be in a civil union receiving all of those state benefits. However, there is no federal, that is national recognition of civil unions. So you won't get the federal tax benefits or other benefits that are attached to marriage at the federal level, even if they are allowed at the state level. The second part of the specific issues facing LGBTQ people is understanding the relationship they have with their families. And I don't mean immediate family like siblings and parents. That's important. But say you want to start a family. I mean, Cody and I are actually talking about this right now. So who knows, maybe one of these days I'll be giving you an announcement saying, hey, we've got a little lemon growing kind of thing. But let's talk about the different options here that are available. So the three options that we're going to talk about today are adoption, surrogacy, and guardianship. And each one has different rights and different responsibilities and a different legal relationship. So the first one is the most obvious, most common, adoption which allows someone to take on the legal rights of a parent as if the adopted person were their biological child. For legal purposes, adopted children are treated no differently than biological children. And this means that, for LGBTQ estate planning, adoption is the best way to ensure your assets pass to the individual or individuals that you want in the next generation, because they then receive the rights of inheritance. Now. There are different avenues on adoption, and we'll be doing a whole segment on these later on in an episode. But the basics are that you either adopt a minor child through some private agency. They can be international, they can be local, or you can adopt from the public ward system. And in Illinois, that is the Department of Children and Family Services, or DCFS either case, the process can take upwards of a year to finalize, sometimes as long as five or even longer in complex cases, and adoption is not cheap, unfortunately. You have to pay the agency, you have to pay court filing fees, you're going to have to pay your attorneys, and there's other costs associated with it. So while adoption gives you all of those rights and is the gold standard for what you would want in a legal relationship between parent and child, you still run into the issues that it is expensive, as a lot of legal services are. Moving along from adoption, let's talk a little bit about guardianships, specifically guardianships of minor children. Now, minors do not have the same legal rights as adults. For instance, they cannot own property on their own, and they can't, say, do a will, at least under the laws of the state of Illinois. Guardianship provides a process for a person to gain custody and control of a child or to act on behalf of the child with respect to the child's assets. So this does not establish a parent-child relationship. However, it does allow individuals, whether or not they're related to the minor child, to care for the child. So we don't get the right of inheritance. So for estate planning purposes, this would not necessarily allow you to do the estate planning if you were a guardian over a minor child, but it allows you as the guardian to help with that minor child's estate plan. And this is especially useful in cases of special needs or in cases of what we call windfall, where you receive a large sum of assets all at once rather than over time. Again, we'll discuss guardianships in a later episode because they are actually interesting in their own right but they're a little complex. But do know that they are an option available to LGBTQ parents who may be taking care of another family member. And then finally, we have surrogacy. And surrogacy is probably the most controversial of all of these avenues to establishing legal relationships between one generation and the next. But it is worth mentioning that the U.S. has some of the most liberal surrogacy laws in the world. Many jurisdictions in the world do not allow surrogacy of any kind. Many Asian countries originally had it, but they have done away with it or severely limited. Defined, surrogacy is an arrangement, often supported by some kind of legal agreement or contract, a surrogacy agreement. What these agreements provide for is that a woman or birth giver, agrees to incubate and deliver a baby for another person or persons, who will then become the child's legal parents after birth. This means that the genetic material forming the child may not be that of the, quote, intended parents. In fact, those individuals can be completely unrelated to the child. Or, more commonly, one parent is the donor, and the other half of the chromosomes comes from the biological parent through in vitro fertilization, and then the surrogate carries that. So the surrogate may donate the egg, and then there's a sperm donor, and those are brought together, and the mom will then incubate and deliver the child, and then the other parent is actually the legal parent rather than the biological parent. Now the science and the laws are still developing on this, Illinois specifically is very surrogate friendly in that there is no court process so long as all the paperwork is filled out. You do need to have attorneys involved. That is one caveat to this. You have to have a physician and then the biological and birth parents as well as the intended parents. Everybody has to be on the same page and there has to be a written agreement memorializing this. Otherwise it's not valid. However, Let's assume that you have a valid surrogacy, and once the child is born, the paperwork is filed, that child is yours, and you have full legal rights over them, and they get the benefit of the rights of inheritance, you have the benefit of the rights of intestate succession. I personally think it's one of the coolest things, and one of the most empowering things to help people start families. In our very first episode, we talked about the five essential documents you need in your estate plan, and we listed those. Those are the last will and testament, or just the will, the powers of attorney for health care and property, the living will, and the declaration of agent for disposition of remains. And it is essentially true across all most estate plans that these five documents play a role but in lgbtq estate planning both for individuals and couples it is essential that all of these documents be done especially if you do not have a supportive family so starting with the will this one is essentially the same idea whether you are married or not you choose how you want your assets to be disposed of at death whether you are married or single, in a long-term relationship, or ready to mingle, you need a will as the foundation of your estate plan. However, there is nothing truly special about an LGBTQ will versus a straight person's will, so long as it is executed property and the same thing pretty much goes with the living will because the living will is a declaration of your health care wishes as it relates to your final illness and care or some kind of terminal illness there's nothing special in these documents for lgbtq estate planning but it is still essential to the estate plan what does fall under the special needs of the lgbtq estate plan though are the powers of attorney which are for health care and property as well as the Declaration for Disposition of Remains. So these last three documents are really what I want to hit home for you. Because if your family is not supportive, you definitely need these documents. So let's start with the power of attorney for health care. And kind of turning it a little on its head, what happens if you don't have a power of attorney for health care? Well, at that point, say you were to fall into a state where you're unable to make decisions for yourself, you're declared legally incompetent, well, what that means is you would then fall under the Illinois State's Healthcare Surrogacy Act. I should say, you would fall under your specific state's Healthcare Surrogacy Act. As always, we use examples from Illinois because that is where our attorneys are licensed. But the Illinois Healthcare Surrogacy Act is for cases where a person cannot make decisions for themselves and that person does not have a Healthcare Power of Attorney, POA for short, a living will declaration. No mental health treatment preferences, and if one of these documents is around, but if it doesn't apply to the patient's condition or is invalid for some reason, then you will be subject to the Surrogacy Act. To cut to the chase... If you have family who's not supportive of you and you don't have a power of attorney for property, or excuse me, a power of attorney for health care, then you need to designate someone who is your power of attorney. Because once you execute these documents, that person who you've named then supersedes the person who would act under the Surrogacy Act. And this includes treatment for mental health, hormonal care, and other decisions. The reason you need this document is to make sure that the care that you're getting is just that the care you need, not what someone else wants you to have. Because under the Surrogacy Act, a person acting is allowed to make medical treatment decisions, including decisions to remove life support. So you need this document. Anyway, I'm getting a little caught up here. Anyway, I'm getting off my high horse, don't worry. Let's return to the remaining documents. The power of attorney for property, we just talked about health care, the other power of attorney is the power of attorney for property. Without this one, instead of going through the Health Surrogacy Act, we then fall under the Probate Act, which would take us through the guardianship process. Now, a guardianship is when someone is able to make decisions on your behalf. But the process that we get there is that someone petitions the court. And yes, it is a court process. Someone petitions the court to say, this person is unable to make decisions for themselves. I want to be the person to make those decisions. Now, there are notice requirements and such, and the court's going to try to figure out your wishes, but many times they're going to get it wrong if you haven't left any directions. And that's what the power of attorney for property helps with. One, you don't even have to go through the guardianship process, but in the statutory forms, that is the forms that we get from the legislature, there's actually a box there that says, if this power of attorney is in effect and I am unable to make decisions, I want this person to be my guardian. So if you don't have these documents saying who can act on your behalf, then the court may choose someone to act on your behalf that you might not necessarily want. So let's save ourselves some time and headache and let's get an executed power of attorney for property. Finally, we have the Declaration of Agent for Disposition of Remains. Without this document in Illinois, the law takes us down a list. It's called the Illinois Disposition of Remains Act. We're very creative in how we name our statutes, but there is a list of priority of people who get to choose what happens to your remains when you die. So, for instance, first priority, though, goes to whoever you have decided in writing. So, you have said in your will, you have said in your declaration of agent for disposition of remains, hint, hint, that person gets first priority. If you don't have it, then we go to who is the executor of your estate or who is named in your will. Then we go to the spouse, if you have one, then to the children. Finally, it starts getting a little weird. We end up at religious institutions or nonprofits, the public administrator, and finally just somebody who will take care of the remains. My friends who are trans, this document is for you. If your family is not supportive, or you think that they would take you to a funeral home and have you dressed and made up to look like the gender that is not yours, you need this document. It lets you take control and empowers you. To have the strength and dignity of the amazing person that you are and that's how i want estate planning to feel to everyone empowering so with that in mind this is just a small glimpse of how estate planning is affected by you being a member of the lgbtq community there's a whole lot more and we have attorneys ready to help you if you want to give us a call but on that side i want to thank everyone for spending some time here with me happy pride month to everyone and let's have some fun on this journey we call life i'm your host andrew martinich and we'll see you next time you've reached the disclaimer. This podcast is a production of Prime Law Group, LLC, who are attorneys licensed only in the state of Illinois. The primary purpose of this podcast is educational in nature and does not constitute legal advice of any kind. While we love that you're a devout listener, please note that no attorney-client relationship is created by you listening or acting upon anything you hear in this podcast. References to any specific product or service does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of the same. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own. Their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please visit www.primelawgroup.com.